Over the past year, I've been on a healing adventure. I've spent the past 12 months recovering from brain fog, pain, and chronic fatigue. Like any good adventure story, there have been highs and lows, losses and gains, and an incredible amount of personal growth and lessons learned. This journey has made me a better health practitioner and a more empathetic coach. To add more meaning to my experience, I wanted to create something that would help others to increase their energy, clear their mind, and restore their health. I created the Brain Fog Bible. The Brain Fog Bible is a 47-page guide that covers what I call the low-hanging fruit. It explores the most important areas to be assessed and addressed if you want more from life, but your brain and your body are holding you back. You can grab a copy at brainfogbible.com forward slash download. That's brainfogbible.com forward slash download. I believe one of the most important things that we can do is give ourselves the gift of truly nourishing the soul through time spent in self-inquiry, moments that still the mind and practices that light us up and allow us to reconnect to the child within. Move, Breathe, Create is a platform that celebrates soul nourishment. Move your body to get out of your head. Breathe to give yourself mental clarity and calm. Create without expectation to fuel your inspiration and delight your senses. Come and join us over at movebreathecreate.com and use the code kombucha for your first month free. I'm looking forward to seeing you inside the community. From a young age, I was passionate about nutrition and helping people with their health. When I started practicing in the field, I realized that physiology and psychology are intimately intertwined. Some of my clients just needed to know what to do to feel better. And many of my clients knew what they should be doing, they just weren't doing it. Underneath it all, unconscious conditioning was getting in the way of their success. This drove me to uplevel my skill set and coach my clients to remove some of their mental roadblocks and reconnect with the wisdom of the body. I learned about the importance of embodiment and harnessing the power of emotions to get more of what you want from life. I started offering intensive one-to-one coaching packages and I launched my Grounded Goddess group program. I also wanted to create a free offering to help women understand the power of the mind, body, and emotions. I created the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. The Grounded Goddess Blueprint is a 43-page guide that will help you reconnect with what you want from life and teach you how to build your roadmap to create it. It will help you understand why you often find yourself going round in circles and engaging with self-sabotage. If you feel stuck, overwhelmed, or frustrated with lack of results, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. If you want clarity, understanding, and more success, you want the Grounded Goddess Blueprint. Just go over to groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint and grab your copy. That's groundedgoddess.co.uk forward slash blueprint. Hi, I'm Shay, and welcome to Kombucha and Color. Kombucha and Color is a weekly podcast hosted by me, Shay Dyer, a yoga teacher and creative graphic designer, and Anna Marsh, a functional medicine practitioner and women's health coach with a love of all things health and fitness. 
This podcast is here to inspire women to embrace health and live life bright. You can find more about me, Shay, at shaydyer.com. You can find out more about me, Anna, at annamarshnutrition.co.uk. And each week we will be bringing you inspiring content for a healthier and happier mind, body, heart, and soul. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kombucha and Color. I'm Shay, and today I have beautiful Emily Carson with us. Um, I'm super excited to talk to her today because we've not had anybody on the show who is discussing what she is going to talk to us about today. And just before we got on this chat, she was just telling me how rich and how in-depth this topic that we're going to be talking about today is and how important and powerful it is for women to experience and have this conversation. So Emily is an acupuncturist. She is a cranial sacral practitioner. She's also an NCT home birth facilitator. And what she has moved to now is really using all of those tools and skill sets to provide women with this really powerful way to move through the fourth trimester. So fourth trimester, Emily, you can explain a little bit more about how you classify that, but welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you, Shay. Thank you so much for having me here. So do you want to just dive into a little bit about you, how you got into this work, maybe where you started and where you are now and your journey up to here? Mm. So I fell pregnant in 2015 and up until that point I'd been a director of an integrative healthcare centre in Oxford. I had been running that centre with one of my dearest friends and it was home to 30 plus practitioners and within the context of that work I was also practicing as an acupuncturist and a craniosacral therapist so I came to pregnancy from that place and it was during my pregnancy the end of my pregnancy that we closed that business as I was preparing for birth well the moment that I I knew I was pregnant I knew that I'd be birthing my baby at home and so pregnancy took me into this very instinctive place without consciousness really and I really put that down to the embodied work that I'd done before conceiving my baby and so it wasn't until I had my baby and had my home birth that I recognized quite how important a foundation that that can lay for the fourth trimester and then the time after that. So what do you classify as the fourth trimester? The fourth trimester is the first 40 days after you've given birth. So that's the moment that the fourth trimester begins, the very moment that you've birthed your, your baby. And, and for some, you know, I hear also some people talk about it as the first three months. From a Chinese medicine perspective, we, we look at actually it's the first 42 days, to be specific, that's written about. Okay, amazing. So just to circle back on this piece of embodiment, when you said that you had, you know, you were very instinctual when it came to the decisions and the choices that you knew you were going to make without actually really thinking about it. What are some of those practices in real tangible terms for people who's met someone who's maybe pregnant, who's listened to this, like, wow, what could I do to find a little bit of that embodiment for myself so that I can feel empowered in the choices that I make towards pregnancy or birth or whatever it is? 
for me, those practices were listening practices, practices that centered around movement, listening, yoga, and still listening, meditation. And listening to the sensory body and listening to the patterns that were within my system, the patterns of the tendencies that were within my system, noticing that they were there, noticing the habitual patterns that would come up and raise themselves. And also body work. I was receiving a lot of body work. I was going to have receiving craniosacral therapy, massage therapy, you know, running a center, I was, was receiving a lot of body work and that really helped me to be in my body and recognize how it was that my body's feeling. And we know that identifying how we feel is regulation. It's the beginning of regulation, you know, the way that we identify how we feel. And that's a really important place. So no matter what methodology a woman uses, if she can begin to identify how she feels, that's the beginning of regulation. So powerful, not just for birth, but really for motherhood and for life in general. Of course. So what is, if you think about the fourth trimester, what, what is the importance and what are the things that you should be looking out for? And why is it such an important time in a mother's journey and a baby's journey and that whole process? The fourth trimester is almost an antidote, potentially an antidote to the patriarchal system that we have around birth and around care for women at that time of life. It has a real, it's very heavily feminine-centered care, looking at nurturing the power of the feminine in her most instinctive phase of life and supporting and regulating her in the care of her young. I think it's, it's quite a radical time. And what are some ways that you could support or you could help nourish or if there was a partner or a birthing partner or a friend or somebody who was there to support the, the new mother? Like what are some of the tools or things that would be useful for people to know on a practical level? Because I think some of the stuff is like people want the nitty gritty, like how can I help? So what, what is in your experience has been maybe for in your personal journey, what was, what was good and then in what you teach and what you share? Before we go into that, just to, to, to talk a little bit about what, what is, the, is motherhood. It's the beginning of relationship. What do we require when we are beginning to hold space for a new vital relationship in our life? And it's not just a friendship. It's, it's we're regulating this. We're keeping this human alive. So it's quite a different relationship there. So what do women require in the face of that? I would say all the things that a new baby needs. So a new baby needs warmth, swaddling, good nourishment, soothing, you know, an attentive caregiver. So if we translate that to a new mother, what are all the things that we then think a new mother should have or invite a new mother to instinctively think what do I want for myself in this time warmth nourishment swaddling physically and attentive caregivers to her so it's a very simple way to think about it for those entering motherhood or those supporting a new mother what does a new baby need ah that's what I can give to a new mother as well I love that. And something that came up for me on my postnatal training with 
you know, yoga postnatal is that it's this phase of mothering the mother. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's like this, this idea of how can I mother the mother? Because she's also in a new identity. It's a new stage completely for her. So I love, I love that as well. In terms of, you know, people who maybe are in this phase of motherhood and it's feeling all overwhelming and it's feeling like it's too much, or perhaps they've had something that is not gone according to plan or they're feeling so out of sorts. Like what are some practices that you recommend for somebody who's in that phase who maybe needs a little bit of ah, coming home to themselves? I think some good things to consider if, if a woman's finding herself in that position is a, a little bit of a thinking train, first of all, as to what might have triggered that play. So what was her birth like? Because we know that birth, and particularly traumatic birth, can have an impact on a woman's nurturance response and also on how she may feel towards herself. So if the birth has held some trauma that's not, that will, unresolved experience that not that she hasn't quite digested that might be one place to consider when when we're meeting her in that difficulty and if it's overwhelm because mothering is a pretty massive experience to go through then maybe there's so that I think to, to differentiate you know is there some unresolved undigested stuff there left over from birth because that's a little bit different when you're working with trauma held in the body rather, you know, in comparison to someone that's feeling very depleted. So perhaps for someone to identify which, which camp do they feel that they're in, one thing that can be a really beautiful thing for a woman to do is share her birth story with somebody who's open to being very attentive and will just receive her story. Birth story listening is a practice and it can be very regulating to have your birth story heard. I would also think, you know, very simple things, you know, as, as a yoga practitioner and teacher, imagine there are many tools that you have also to put forward. So I would love to, from that point of view, really welcome you to put some things forward too. But for me, some really simple things are bare feet on grass, really feeling the earth underneath your body really feeling like you're not the only woman going through what you're going through. Holding, I heard a, a, a Dr. Gwen Adsheed, who's a psychiatrist, talk recently, and she said that one of the most important things she wanted to offer new mothers was you do not have to love what you're doing. So I think mm. in addition to grounding practices, to also hold that you don't have to love what you're doing here, and that's okay, that's really normal. Good food, you know, if you, once a day you feel like you're giving your body some good nourishment, wonderful, well done. And find some women, people in your life that are really reassuring people to listen to, people that you can pick up the phone to and that will just hear you out, that's just going to listen to what you're saying without advice giving. I think wouldn't underestimate the power of community. And I see actually from your website, you do, you do yourself this birth listening or birth story listening, which is just such a beautiful thing to be able to hold space for people in that way. Um, there must be a, such a sense of resolution in some ways about anything that has happened that may be a little bit overwhelming or too much too soon. And that kind of ability to just be heard is like really powerful. And I think that is even in the yoga space, like we use our bodies to allow that to express in some way. So yeah, as you say, like adding to those things of the feeling of grounding or coming back to your own body. And I think there's 
obviously through birth, however we've given birth, there can be a disconnect from the body because we've essentially kind of almost like separated ourselves from our body to, to manage the whole situation. So yeah, really, really useful. Do you know why it's, it's a 42 day period? Is there any specific reason for that or is it just? Well, I suppose if you think it's sort of the, it's a mirroring of the trimesters during pregnancy, it's also, if we think about a, a baby's developmental phases, those first 42 days are quite interesting when you look at um, a baby's development and that there is a lot more sleep in that phase. And from a Chinese medicine point of view, we really look at it as a doorway to not only birth recovery, but it, it's also really seen as an opportunity to heal from other underlying stuff that's in the body so it's an incredible window of opportunity that we see there and if you were to to take that opportunity a year down the line or two years down the line it's just different the capacity for change in the body is different our our hormones are in a different state the receptivity is just in a in a it's it's different and I also think myself I've got a three-year-old now I wouldn't be able to to lie down like I would like when my child was a newborn so I suppose there's also that take into consideration it's more it's more practical to do the work then Mm. and in terms of that specific work like would you say it is practices like lying down like what what does that look like on a day-to-day for a new mother who's just given birth in the fourth trimester is completely maybe blindsided by the whole thing feeling an identity crisis and overwhelm what are the specifics in her day-to-day that it would look like besides the besides the nourishment besides those things that you already mentioned like what are some other practices that she can really put into her day to help manage that and replenish the body I'm sure you probably know as a, as a practitioner and teacher that it's hard quite to depict the, the richness and depth of, of the yin practice mm. when there's not seemingly so much going on. And to explain that to someone that's quite into the external measurements of what you might do in order to gain something or gain a particular state, it might be less easy to understand the, the nature of nothingness. Or, mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. However, in terms of what one might integrate in that time I think resting when baby rests is one of the the very best things to to consider um and I really love the saying five days in the bed five days on the bed five days around the bed oh I love that is that a straight away from postnatal period yeah so from from the, the moment you have your baby if you're at home get straight into bed you might be in bed already. Or if you're coming home, get straight into bed. Stay five days in your bed and then five days on your bed and then five days around your bed. And it's a really nice catchy phrase. Mm. Mm. And I think it makes it quite actionable. It's like, yeah, I can do that. (laughs) And I think that's probably what mothers need at that stage. It's like, I need to have something to follow because it's like all just like overwhelming and like, this can ground me five days, five days, five days. I've got it. <laughs> and, and to find regulators like people like you, you know, to do one-to-one yin yoga practice. Mm. Wonderful. Have a body worker come to your house. If you can, mm. if you can afford a cleaner, have someone to come and clean your space for you. What things that can you organize preemptively for that time that can cocoon you, that can really, um, 
support you as you're traversing those those first 42 days instead of asking people to buy you stuff if you're going to have a baby blessing or a baby shower um, ask them if they would be happy to instead make you a meal in the first 40 days after you've given birth you know swap mm-hmm. the, the material stuff for food yeah I love that and I think there's so much in our language and our culture and society about preparing ourselves for this big birth event but then you know you do all this hypnobirthing or whatever you're doing to prepare yourself for this big event and then suddenly the big event happens, the birth, but then you realize that that's just one little stepping stone into the rest of motherhood. So having those practices like that can support you after that stage is probably even more important because, you know, that's when the real journey starts. Mm. Yeah. And that's partly why the, the workshops that, that I'm running are rooted in pregnancy, because when you've had your baby, your mind is so geared on that and that process and it doesn't need additional logistical you know top-down information coming at you you're in a very instinctive state then but when you're pregnant and particularly for first-time mums there's a really nice space in pregnancy to consider not only making your birth preparations and your you know writing down your birth wishes and your birth plan but make your postpartum plan too Mm. You know, that's a very good time to consider what is the time after birth going to look like for me? We do such great birth preparation in this country, in the UK, and there's so much out there by way of resources that can support us around birth. But there's very little around the fourth trimester around motherhood, you know, and how we can prepare for that in pregnancy. Mm. So just reflecting on your own story, because obviously you've come at this because of your own experience. So was there something that you wish that you had done in your fourth trimester or could you perhaps maybe share what your fourth trimester sort of plan was so that it can give people some like, what would you put on a fourth trimester plan? Um, I've got my birth plan sorted, but what about this fourth trimester? What are some things that I would put there and how I, I can have my needs met in that time? Mm-hmm. And what would you, you know, we've discussed a little bit about what your needs would be, but maybe making it tangible certainly that time is what led me to this work you know my pregnancy was very instinct led I spent a chunk of time in silent retreat in pregnancy and you know that's obviously not for everybody but for me that really worked in bringing me into my body and trusting I sat with a lot of pain for some of the retreat and I really sat and observed sensation and allowed myself to make friends with quite extreme sensation and that was a very um, fundamental preparation for me for the birthing process. In terms of the birth itself my baby arrived five days early and caught us all by surprise and so really until I was in sort of the later stages of labour I was in kind of in denial that I was in labour and so, <laughs> um, but it it was an incredibly empowering, powerful experience for me. And because my my instincts so strongly led me to birthing at home, I I chose who I who was at my birth. I wanted a dear friend at my birth. My partner at the time was at my birth, and I had an independent midwife who I chose to be at my birth, which I was 
very lucky and very privileged to be able to, to have and created very clearly the regulation I wanted for that experience, that very strong experience. And so my baby was born into a space that I was very held in. And so considering that, I think, is is really key. You know, do you have a doula? Do you have a, a birth friend? Do you look into what support is there for your partner if you have one? You know, that's those are those are some good questions to ask around birth in that beginning of the fourth trimester because they begin that time with you. Um, and for me, the fourth trimester was was very um what was very present for me was the presence of my female friends. They were absolutely phenomenal and they were invited. I really invited them in, but they, they were phenomenal in terms of regulating and supporting me. And I think because I had a very, very big relationship rupture in that time, my relationship ended. I recognized the importance of regulation from community. It was, it, it was, and it was what I recognized my relationship broke down probably two months after my baby was born. And it was at that point that I was meeting that experience with huge resilience that I thought, wow, that the fourth trimester has been really powerful grounding, really good grounding because I'm meeting this from a very resourced place. Mm -hmm. And that was due to all of these people that were there bringing meals, bringing meals daily, holding my baby briefly and looking at me and saying, you're doing wonderfully. Is there anything you need? Simple. Mm. Mm. Amazing, amazing. Each week we get incredible feedback about our episodes of Kombucha and Color. We know our show is touching, inspiring, and helping hundreds of women, and we would like to reach even more. Can you help? You can help other women find the inspiration that you have found if you head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you screenshot your review and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna, Shay, or Kombucha and Color, we'll send you a wonderful restful yoga nidra practice to download so you can find some peace and calm in your day or a better night's sleep at night. Additionally, everyone who enters and leaves a review and shares it on Instagram will be put into a lucky prize draw to win a copy of my Beat the Bloat guide and Shay's yoga guide. You can love your body from the inside out with 174 pages, including over 100 pages of recipes, which walk you through my 28-day digestive reset process. This is perfect if you want to reset your body, address any unwanted health symptoms, or support your skin, hormones, energy, and digestion. Shay's 173-page yoga guide includes 116 pages of detailed pose analysis. It will give you all the tools you need to teach yourself yoga so you can sequence, practice, and flow safely in your very own home. Remember, all you need to do is go to iTunes, leave a five-star review, screenshot the review, and share it on Instagram stories or your Instagram feed tagging myself, Anna underscore Marsh underscore nutrition, Shay at Indie Yoga Life, or Kombucha and Color, Kombucha underscore and underscore color. Head on over and do that right now before you forget, and then your yoga nidra practice will be on its way.
we live in such a fast paced society that lots of us, I think women especially can feel quite disconnected from their female tribe, from their female community, from their circles, from the sense of womanhood. So what would you say is some things that a woman could do to try and cultivate that sense of community around herself? You know, we're so global these days that everything is happening far apart from our local village of origin. How can we cultivate that for ourselves? There's a beautiful midwife in the States called Sister Morningstar, and she runs prenatal sessions called Village Prenatals. And they are the folk, I thought, oh, great, what do, what do they practically involve? And could we run them in Oxford here? And, and actually, when I looked into them, they involved gathering women around the birthing women in the community to sing to her, to wash her feet, mm-hmm. to paint her belly. And to ask her two questions, and those two questions are, what are your greatest hopes for your birth? And what are your greatest fears? And there was no advice given. It's just it, the response given to these women was, we hear you, tell us more. And so what I would say in pregnancy is to find the women in your life, the people in your life that can offer you that holding celebrating your pregnancy with you if that's what you want to do holding you in any grief you hold around your pregnancy because that's really normal and natural for us to grieve the change preparing for birth with you and gathering these people you know intuitively who feels right to have near me at this time who doesn't feel so right okay so these people feel really safe to have around me right now this is who I'm going to call in Mm, I love that. And that, that is, it's a thing of just being seen and just being heard and whatever it is that you're moving through and processing. And I think it's so, it's lacking so much in society these days. It's so sad, but I think when we can tap into these places of connection and places of resource with, with other women, like it's really powerful and beautiful. And I think that's why NCT groups are such a big thing here because it's like creating this connection of other women who are moving through something that's similar to you. Mm, absolutely yeah there's such an idea of co-regulation you know regulation is a word I've used a lot talking Mm. to you but it really is such a fundamental part of this time of life and particularly leading up to birth you know there are many resources available to women in in this country you know the the NCT classes but also go and find your positive birth groups go and find your home birth groups if that's what you're interested in or considering the home birth group that that we run in Oxford is very much centered around the members that have been will come back and share their birth story. It's a, a beautiful way of really hearing birth and then asking questions. There are midwives that come, there are doulas that come, birth workers that come. And it's giving a woman also the, the opportunity to complete her rite of passage, to come back and tell her birth story. That's a really important part of motherhood is that is the rite of passage of the of the beginning of it, of the consolidation in some way of the recognition that she's traversed this passage. And part of that is coming back and sharing that with her community. And the women that, that, that whose birth stories I've heard, their children, their, the beginning of their children's lives, we now hold in our communities in a different way. So mm-hmm. would find, would encourage women to seek that if that's what feels right for them. Mm, that's beautiful so just on this sense of 
if you are coming to a space where women are telling their birth stories and there's perhaps a traumatic birth story or something that has maybe quite triggering for some somebody else, like, or maybe who's somebody who's not moving through birth yet, but is preparing for it. How do you manage that, you know, not to put, to let everybody be seen and be heard, but not to put that fear into somebody who is maybe feeling a little bit anxious about the process before they've even got there. Yeah, it's an interesting question. It's certainly something that I really considered as I was taking the group on and I think something to really hold with care. I think that to really allow, you know, that the space that we give to storytelling is to really allow the storyteller to tell their story. We know that births don't always go to plan and we know that when we become pregnant that the veil is thin between life and death. You know, it's a really interesting time. It brings us close to 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 death and I think I think it's really good to be honest about that and to be really open and hold each other around that and stories that come up that have traumatic moments within them because not all births are traumatic the whole way through Mm. there'll be traumatic moments to allow the woman to share her story and that that's her story and that that's not someone else's story and that of course as you say other other women or people present may well be impacted by that story. But what I've often found in one of the first home birth groups that I went to, I heard of, um, I heard a woman who'd shared a birth story and she'd had a a postpartum hemorrhage. She had a home birth, had a postpartum hemorrhage and was then transferred and cared for in hospital. And this was my first birth story. And I came away from the group feeling so grounded by the fact that, and so reassured by the fact that, her midwife acted really quickly and that there's so much you can do as a home birth midwife, as a community midwife to support a woman if things go not to plan. There are many resources you have and actually almost just as much as there would be if you were in a hospital setting. And actually I think when things arise that aren't always easy to listen to, midwives can come in and talk about that scenario. It's a nice opportunity to talk about a scenario for someone else's birth. So yeah, I think think that if you're you're feeling a little bit vulnerable in your nervous system and you don't want to hear a story, you know, maybe I think that that's um, certainly out there in the world. When you become pregnant, a lot of people like to tell you their own birth stories, and if they're about to tell you a birth story that's traumatic, for you to take a moment and say, actually, I'm really wanting to hear positive birth stories right now. That's what I need mm-hmm. to hear. And I think to be able to filter for yourself there and say, I'm not sure I want to hear this story. I'm going to, I'm going li- to, can I listen to it when I've given birth? Yeah. So what, what you're saying to me sounds so much like, again, coming back to this idea of being in your body. So tuning in, how is my body feeling in this situation? Am I ready to receive this story right now? And then taking that a step further, can I voice it? Can I voice my needs and speak up? And I think that's something that for centuries women have not spoken up and it's been the birth has been led by somebody else, whereas when it's a birth led by the birthing mother, there is a very different energetic experience, I can imagine, in that whole situation when she's given her voice and she's been able to speak and have her needs expressed, even if they're not necessarily able to be met. So yeah, yeah. and then the other th- thing that, that was so poignant to what you said is like the ability to label the experience and have it, you know, as I was saying, like, oh, it's a traumatic birth. But as you said, like, 
it's not a traumatic birth. There's perhaps one moment in that birth that is a, that was a little bit too much too soon or kind of labeling that specific moment within it as opposed to creating this whole big narrative that this actually doesn't serve the whole story of the birth. Mm, yeah, I think those are two really, really key things to hold, certainly um, with birth trauma. And just to also qualify something you said earlier, that my birth story listening training will finish very soon. But in the process of, of training, what's very clear is that those moments that are unresolved are often, often around relationship and relational. So I've heard birth stories where really extreme medical situations have been presented to somebody and because the relationship and the communication and the rapport has been really good there's not been a residue residue then of of trauma in the body and when there's been a a rupture relationally that those are often the moments that can be really held for somebody so yes to hold to hold that that but that those are also possible to work through the other side of birth and for anyone listening that is in that phase of early motherhood who knows that they had some unresolved moments in their birth, what we know, what um, Dr. Sarah Buckley talks a lot about uh, is, is in the case of trauma in birth is that oxytocin is so often the medicine, is the balm for mother and baby. So that if you're wondering what can I do feed your baby have skin to skin with your baby you know though that that's a very simple beginning of how you can begin to meet that experience mm. so from talking from your personal experience what did your fourth trimester look like obviously you were going through quite an emotional upheaval with everything that had broken down in your relationship and you had this wonderful at the same time had this wonderful support network of women around you to check in on a new and make food mm-hmm. for you and is there anything else that stands out for you in that period of repletion for yourself mm. or something was, that you wish you had yeah it was the summertime so I spent a lot of time outside and would would really um recommend that you know outside fresh air is such good balm and um, I also ha- have a dog. So um, at the point where my body felt ready, going outside and walking the dog felt like a really wonderful daily practice. Um, I'd been practicing yoga for a long time and, and it took me a little while to get back on my mat again. But when I did, just the simplicity of exploring what does what does it feel like to have my palms and my feet on this mat again what does my pelvis feel like you know what we know about the pelvis in birth is that it opens up and uh, a lot of postpartum rituals are about um, bringing the pelvic bones back together again um, and warming the pelvis you know what can you do you know what what I did a lot of was um, very slow gentle movements um, to even just you know sitting and rocking the spine you can do that as you're as you're feeding your baby you know allowing some movement to arise out of the pelvis and through the spine you know noticing what does this movement feel like in my body what does it feel like to be in my body Mm. as it is now um and for me specifically what i remember about that time was food was being brought nurturing food and 
eventually making nurturing food for myself and that that isn't necessarily um what everyone's postpartum time should should look like but for me that was a very central part of my nourishment um and and felt like a real a really lovely achievement in the day you know just a very small being able to agency take agency over my care Mm-hmm. So if you think about this idea of repleting the body, replenishing, coming back to yourself, but you're in a completely new body, is there any kind of disconnect that you move through in motherhood that you're like, sure, I don't feel like I fit in this body anymore? Or was there a period of adjustment to that? And how do you navigate that as a new mother from your experience? Mm. Yeah, I mean, my, my pelvis and pelvic floor just felt like completely different landscape for me um as I imagine they do for a lot of women after giving birth and it's so easy for us to think oh you know give me six weeks and I'll have my check and things will go back to how they were and I think there's there's such a um an ease in our mentality around around birth that we kind of get back into our genes after you know we want to get back into our jeans or our clothes after we've given birth you know it's a real achievement for a lot of women you know for me it felt great because they felt so um containing um but I think what that that um hints to us is that we go back to how we were and to know that our bodies will never be the same after giving birth and to hold that our pelvises our pelvic floors our vulvas our vaginas will never be the same as they were um, before giving birth and that that's okay and how do we explore this time as a time to re-friend and befriend our body um, for some of us that's going to be quite an alien practice mm-hmm. or a new practice um, but how do we integrate that into that time as well and for me taking time I'm, I made a, a really lovely spray that was um a roman chamomile infused water spray and I used it on my perineum after giving birth and it was very soothing very cooling um and it felt very healing it felt very very nourishing. it was very simple and a very easy thing I could bring into my day after I'd been to the loo just to, to support the sort of feeling in my pelvic floor and hearing a lot of women talk about their experience after giving birth, there's, for some women, there's a lot of fear around even looking at that part of their body again. For some, there's anger that no one told me it was going to look like this or be like this or feel like this. And for others, there can be real dissociation or disconnect there. Um, so even in pregnancy, you know, playing with the, with, what do I what do I feel like in my pelvis? What does my pelvic floor feel like? And uh, where is my cervix? Can I feel that? Just getting to know and mapping that physical physical body, and in the postpartum time, taking some time to to become friends with that part of the body again. And what does it feel like? Oh, it's different here. It feels more open here. Or oh, my perineum feels like it's changed. Or and wow what an incredible job it did at, at opening so that my, my baby could come through. And I also just to say for, for those that whose babies come out of their bellies with a, with a C-section, absolutely the same goes for them too. You know, what does my 
my scarf feel like now and you know how did it how did my belly feel before and what does my belly feel like to me now and what does it feel like just to to use some really nourishing oil on my belly you know I think that's a really key part of that time as well is is um loving the body embodied practice mm-hmm. and you know what what you're saying about this mechanical um benefit of you know the self-massage whether it's on your stomach over your c-section scar or whether it's in your perineum you know there's that manual element of benefit that you're receiving from that physical touch but also there's some kind of energetic benefit that you're receiving from taking those five minutes out that is actually just for you to spend with your own body your own self like again just coming back to yourself because you know there's so much from my from what I've heard is that you know up in pregnancy everybody's questioning and asking how are you doing how's the mother doing how's the mother doing and then as soon as pregnancy happens it's how's the baby doing how's the baby doing how's the baby doing so you know if you don't have that support network how can you create that support network for yourself mm. yeah and I think also coming back to the the point you made earlier Sherry about um speaking about um agency around speaking this is it's it's I think quite linked to this you know if we can feel what our body feels like there's more potential there to speak that experience if we know what the experience is there's more scope to speak the experience and so to be able to say things don't feel quite right you know that even making that that what seems like a small connection is a really big thing and it 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 comes back to um our experience in pregnancy as well you know when we go for um appointments or scans or we go and see our midwife you know that it's that subtle difference between someone telling us to give a urine sample and us saying that's what I'd like to do today mm. um, you know that that it's it's something I, I do feel quite strongly about around pregnancy birth and the postpartum times that it's such it's a time that really invites us into our body unlike any other time and it's such an invitation to listen to what's right for us and to learn how to speak that and we're also at the same time presented with how we should or might undergo procedures or appointments and for us to begin to relearn and find our agency and say actually do you know what that's not right for me or this doesn't feel right for my body today and learning learning to tune in to, to that mm, which I think is such a valuable skill post mother you know post the birth is like taking that into motherhood as well as that I'm trusting what is feeling right for me right now because I'm doing the best that I can as as mothering this child that was given to me it's like yeah it's, it's a really powerful tool yeah you know in the birthing process there's we kind of transition from this very primal body-led experience and that this this baby comes out of our body and then suddenly we go from quite an internal physical primal process into navigating social nervous system vagal nervous system territory where we have to integrate the primal the instinctive with our social nervous mm. system and it's that pairing that's so key that is such a initiation in motherhood mm. unlike it it has been before for us in our lives 
Mm, and what, what are some ways that you can help people to navigate that? How do I know that this is the time to drop into instinct and this is the time to actually appease the person who's telling you to do this or the well-meaning friend or the so-and-so parent or the whatever versus I'm doing this because it's my gut that's telling me that this is right. I think like with anything, it's really nice to bring playfulness to mm. it and, and to the knowing that we're never going to get everything, anything perfect and to just play with it and to notice, oh, I, feel dis- I felt discomfort in that exchange with my caregiver, midwife, partner, friend about this experience I'm having around pregnancy, birth, postpartum. And so the noticing is the beginning of it. I think the noticing of, oh, something just didn't quite sit right with me. And then maybe you, you play through what you could have said in your head. And that's already giving the body this sense of its boundary placing and playing through, oh, where might my boundary have been? What could I have said? And verbalized to have held or put forward that boundary. And that's a really nice beginning of that practice. And then to start playing with people that you feel safe with, putting your boundaries out there, who you maybe don't mind offending or making, mm. making them feel uncomfortable, and playing there in those contexts. Um, it's a really nice time pregnancy to start playing with that and start putting your boundaries out there. What does that feel like for me? What does it feel like for other people? You know, what is it, it how do I perceive that that is with, in the, the interplay with other people? Mm, so interesting. So just on this key point of playfulness, um, kind of to wrap up and then you can let us know anything else, but you have a three-year-old, you say now? Mm. Yeah. So um, this is this idea of playfulness. What are some of your experiences and joys of motherhood that you are in right now? Mm. Well, we're recording this in lockdown. We're three weeks, four weeks nearly into quite a strange time. Um, and I think what my son has really invited from me is, is play, is, is to focus on simple exchange around play and to really notice that when we play we really learn and everything he's doing which is play led is his learning about the world and so playing and learning are completely integrated and my learning as a mother has very much been how do I soften and open to somebody else's pace and play with him and so that's been my practice and that's been what my uh, and our, our joyful parts of the last three weeks have been painting uh doing lots of painting drawing all over our patio and chalk art creativity yeah oh, i love it i love it so is there anything else that you feel you want to share or feel that you want to express about any of the work that you do or any of the Um, mothers that you see or anything that you feel oh I I wish that we had touched on that is there anything that you want to put forward more I think that um to say that that no that my experience of of pregnancy birth and postpartum it's it's very easy to think that oh that that seems quite perfect or easy or it's not like that for everybody. And I think 
um, that no one experience is the same. No one's experience is ever going to be the same leading up to, to birth and post-birth. And that coming back to the simplicity of the practices that we were talking about earlier, I think to end with that, to end with the knowing that actually it's, it's not a complicated, it doesn't have to be a complicated time by way of how we pull our resources in. Those resources can look very simple. And to go back to the, the looking at what your baby needs right now and to hold that that's exactly what, what you need to and I think to to end with that, I think that's that for me is the most important centre of of the postpartum time. Mm, I love it. So if you could just, I know probably by the time this episode goes out, you probably have finished your birth story listening and there might be people who want to get in touch. I can just tell by having this conversation with you, obviously you listening to this can't um, see Emily's face, but she's just a very receptive listener. I can really feel that in her energy and she's very present with somebody when she's listening and I can really feel that. So um, if people want to get in touch with you, if they have had a birth that maybe feels like there's some parts that are unresolved, how can they find you to maybe share it with you if they feel called to? Mm. They can contact me via my website. So emilycarson.co.uk or email me or find me on Instagram, Emily and Ruby. We'll put all of these links into the show notes so people can find you if they, they'd like to. But thank you so much for chatting with us today. It was amazing to hear your journey and your practices. And I'm sure it's given so many women, both pregnant and um, giving birth and postnatally, some tools and practical things that they can do to really find that sense of grounding and embodiment within themselves. So thank you. Thank you, Shay. And just to say that if anyone is pregnant and would like to work with me around the fourth trimester that they can also do that they can do either a one-to-one session or they can join the four-week resource that i'll run in may it's a four-week online course so they can be from anywhere in the world amazing amazing thank you so much thank you we'll see you again soon bye bye thank you for listening to another episode of kombucha and color If you have enjoyed or been inspired by our conversations today, please leave a five-star review on Stitcher or iTunes. Don't forget to share with friends and family. This will help other women find inspiration to live life bright. We'd love to connect with you on social media. Come find me, Shay, by searching Shay Dyer Yoga on Facebook or Instagram. You can find me, Anna, by searching Anna Marsh on Facebook or Instagram. And remember, you can always refer to the links in the show notes. See you next week.